You were on the trampoline first. It's my turn. You no, cut it's, it. It's my turn. No, you were on it first, so it's my turn. It's my turn. You don't even get a Welcome to Parent School. I'm Polly Ely. Today, our episode is one that just makes parents want to run for the hills. Chaos between siblings, how to bring calm, how to kind of stop the madness at home. And with us, we have a fabulous guest, a mother of three, all within very close age to each other, Hillary here from Marin County, California, who's going to just help us kind of peer into her life and what it's like to parent three kids who are constantly at each other, constantly aggravating, provoking. So we're going to work on how to get out of that, how to turn that tide and bring chaos into calm. But first, I'd just like to welcome you, Hillary, to the podcast and invite you to bring all your messiness forward and thank you in advance for being willing to do so. Thank you, Polly. I'm excited to be here today. So we have three little ones all in very close age of each other. And when there's harmony at our house and when they play together, it feels great. And it always seems to have a start and an end. And the end is always some escalation. The kids always, one, they'll be playing nicely together. And then one decides to poke the other one, prod the other one, either with words, with teasing, with their hands mm-hmm. and something it's, competitive something comes up between them and i feel at a loss about what is the best way to handle this and i've done a couple of things one of looking at them thinking you guys work this out and other times of trying to intervene and feeling like a traffic cop trying to hold people on different sides and i honestly leave all these situations like I just got my butt kicked. I don't I don't know if I did it right. And it keeps happening. Okay. So, and the repetition of it. I get just like demoralized. I'm like, I, I know I have good kids and I try to talk to them about how it's important to be kind and take care of one another and how it's they're lucky to have siblings. But I also know that What I'm saying and what I'm doing isn't getting there because we keep getting into the same place again. Mm -hmm. Um, And we try to celebrate the times when everyone's getting along, and it's great, and that does happen. But the play doesn't end when they decide to go their different ways. The plays end when someone decides to be a jerk. Right. That's literally the exclamation point on all of the engagement. It ends in someone's crying, Mm -hmm. someone's tears. Yes. I love the way you're starting just so honestly and openly about just how demoralizing it can feel when you're really putting a lot of effort in and you're really trying to model and talk to them and show them how to basically become each other's roommates and be cool roommates. Right. (laughs) How to not be a turkey to the people you live with. And um, one of the things that you said just struck me, which is, you know, I try to tell them, you know, how lucky they are. And my guess is that's falling on deaf ears your sense of luckiness for them as an adult, like what you see them as having as fortune, may to them feel like a real misfortune. Right. Their siblings may actually really be kind of a disaster, frankly, <laughs> for them, um, which I think is a good place for us to start with is just understanding that, you know, us as parents, we have our own fantasies about what's happening around making siblings like, oh, and they're going to be there for each other and they're going to take care of each other. And we have all kinds of 
fantasies about what we had and also fantasies about what we didn't have that we right. wish we'd have. And now we're trying to cultivate in our kids. These are not their fantasies. These are distinctly ours as parents. And lots of kids that are looking at their siblings and like, you're really impeding mm-hmm. my life. <laughs> like, you're really in the way of me and my parents hanging out together. And like, why did you come along? And why are you hogging all my stuff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they have such a different perspective on it a lot of the time. And like you said, it can feel really sweet at times, but a good 80% of the time, they're like, this person isn't, you know, a value add. Right. (laughs) It's interesting. So I guess I want to start by introducing the possibility of talking to our kids on more on the level, not always so much just how lucky you are, but really it it is really quite hard to have siblings. Mm -hmm. Like you inherited roommates that you didn't choose or interview. (laughs) You just got them. And um, they have really different things they want to do and ways that they want to live that don't really match up with yours. And that can be hard. That by itself can sort of take some of the air out of the, the pressurized balloon of like, you're so lucky and you should want to take care of each other, mm-hmm. which almost adds a feeling of like, not only do I not get along with these people that I'm living with, now I feel kind of bad about it because I'm right. supposed to feel good about it, but I don't. It's like layering on the shame. A little extra, a little little shame layer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. But something to take off that shame layer is like, yeah, maybe you guys are going through a patch where you don't get along well right now. That's okay. That happens for siblings. It's really normal. That's the normalizing part. And P.S., it's hard to have siblings. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a, a nice place to start is just sort of taking the pressure off to be the people who all get along so well and take care of each other every minute. It's certainly a great idea and a goal. Um, But I think some parents hammer on it a little too hard. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let's take another step. Can you zoom in and take us to the places where this just sinks its teeth in and makes life really tough? So we were all playing in the backyard the other day, and they're all jumping on the trampoline and working on their flips or somersaults or something, rotating really nicely, giving each other space to do their moves. And... At some point, one of them says, okay, move over, I'm coming. And the other one's like, no, you can't. It's my turn. And then the other one says it too. And they're all kind of jumping in. One gets frustrated and starts to cry. And then the other one just kind of lays in the trampoline and makes it hard for the other two to do anything. And so I then intervene. And the way I react is saying, okay, everybody off, everybody off the trampoline. And That's like your knee jerk. It's my knee jerk to just take it away. And kind of everybody's upset. They still want to jump. And I just know that where the situation I'm entering is frustrating, I could be handling it differently to have a different outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the point you make about it is hard to be a sibling. It, It stinks. Like it'd be so much more fun to be on this by yourself and just be able to do whatever moves you can. So to name that, I can see that being really helpful for us. Mm -hmm. But then what do I do about the next step when they continue to either poke each other and just tease each other? Right. Again, big appreciation to you for seeing yourself as part of a dance or a pattern or a cycle where the tension starts to rise between your kids. They start to get into the conflict that you so kind of dread taking everybody down. And your first move, or at least your first inclination, is to like just call it. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, everybody off, we're done. 
And it's such a natural instinct. It's such a natural response to want to just call it and send everybody to their corners. And yet that gives us no practice at actually getting through the conflict and seeing if we can get to the other side and having this chaos turn into some harmony. Right. And that really takes more of a doubling down of like, wow, we're in a hard place. Let's really work on this. Now, this is the antithesis of like the more natural reaction, which is like, forget it. It's over. This is ruined now. Let's stop. The absolute flip of that is, wow, this is so hard. Let's stay with it. Let's stay with it for a little while. I wonder if we could work on this and get to a better place. Mm -hmm. Now, that takes rolling up your sleeves and really deciding in advance that if I just call this and tell everybody to go back to their corners and go to their room and the game is over, I get a moment of peace, but we haven't learned anything. So we're queuing up a wash, rinse, repeat cycle. You know, the next time we're playing a board game or whatever's coming in 30 minutes, it's all just going to reignite and we're going to be in the exact same place. Right. So when I realized that as a parent of two, I was like, well, why don't I just deal with it now? Because if I don't deal with it now and I just call it, we all go to our rooms, then we're just doing this again in an hour. So, Mm -hmm. and in a way, one kid could really upend a whole interaction because they knew how fast I was willing to throw in the towel and call the game. Mm -hmm. I just want to offer something to you as an experiment. It's not the way. It's one way to really kind of shift the dynamic, which is I'm going to roll up my sleeves and commit to getting through this with them. Now, here's a couple boundaries around that. I'm not a referee. I'm not trying to figure out who did what to who, who is at fault, who's to blame, who needs to make a repair, nothing like that. All we're doing is we're each going to try to do one little tiny thing differently so that we can get to a better outcome. And I'm going to do something a little different. And I want, you know, you and you name your kids, like each kid is going to think about what they could do different to have a more peaceful or a more pleasant outcome. And we're going to actually walk it back, rewind and restart and try again. Now, they're always going to be somebody in the bunch who isn't on board with this or a couple people who are kind of just not in it Mm -hmm. and not sharing in your goal for a pleasant outcome. They're actually trying to make things hard. Mm -hmm. But I think when my kids started to figure out that we weren't done with this interaction until we ended on a pleasant note, that they realized, oh, well, I guess I better get on board. Right. And it was just an interesting shift when There's something that we know for sure in psychology is that when things end on a good note, it tends to up the learning in a huge way, practical learning, procedural learning, just learning how to get through a conflict. We actually have to get through it and get out on the other side to know like, oh, I had something to do with that and I did that and that was actually pretty positive. But half the time parents are like, screw this, we're done. Or the path of the least resistance, right? Like we're in, we have to go somewhere else, like let's just Let's just call Move it. on from this. Totally. But how interesting, just as an option for your tool set, to say, you know what? We don't have to go somewhere. And we can be late for the next thing. This is really important. We come out on this trampoline a lot. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure that whenever we come out on this trampoline and we get into a snarl, we're going to work on that snarl until we get it untangled and we get to something that feels good, even if it just feels a little bit better than where we were. And then we can all kind of high five a little bit that we got through that. 
Now, not only are we starting to change behavior and change everyone's sense of empowerment, but we're also changing a family dynamic. We're all doing something a little different. So you might say, my first instinct when this happens is to tell everybody to go to their room. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll ask, you know, kid one, what's your first thing that you want to do when someone says, it's my turn? You know, like help each other identify what's the thing you do that's just your fighting words or your fighting behavior. And let's try and think of one other thing we could do, and then let's wind it back and do a rehearsal. Let's, mm-hmm. let's play it through. It might be funny. And if it is, better. Better yet if it's funny. When we're learning and we're laughing, even if it's silly, our learning goes way up. So just offer that to you as a way of like, you know, kid two could stand on their head instead of kicking right. their sibling. And that would be fine. All we're working on doing is interrupting a pattern and seeing if we can get to a better outcome. And we might name together, like, what do we wish would happen here? I wish that we would all be able to take turns and, like, and also be able to jump together and have fun. You know, do you have that goal, too? And, like, see if you can enroll them a little bit in that. If you can get even one of them on board, you can appreciate that one who is on board and say, gosh, I'm, I'm so glad that you have that same goal as me, that this feels good. Let's try it again. I've got my sleeves rolled up. I'm happy to cancel the next thing we're doing. Mm -hmm. If we need to cancel, it's okay. It's a bummer. I wish we didn't have to, but I'm committed. We're going to stay with this until we get it. And um, if it takes all day, I got all day. I love it because what I want to do is let them figure it out. And I feel like I'm teaching them by letting them sort it out and not intervening. But I guess what I'm hearing is like, they don't really know how to do that yet. Okay, guys, so one, hands off, hands off, both of you hands off, Pauls. Pauls, hands off him. You may not hit her. You may not hit her. I know. So all that makes sense to me, but what happens when it's more physical? Because I feel like that's almost like a different level. And Yeah, and in what order do we intervene? Yeah. Yeah. One of the kids will say to me, oh, so-and-so just hit me on the back and come in all sad. And then I'll say, but you put your hands on them also. And then I try to teach them, well, you don't you don't like it when they do it to you. So why are you doing it again? Talking about it now, it's a little bit out of context for like a three-year-old saying it to them because they're not necessarily remembering that the last time they did it. But what is the appropriate consequence? Less when they're teasing each other, but what about when it becomes physical and not wrestling? Like if they're intentionally hitting each other or kicking each other, then what? Yeah. So let's imagine that there's a couple iterations of this. One is someone coming to you and saying, so-and-so hit me, and they're reporting an injury. Yeah. Yeah. And which is actually really fine. You're you're there as a guide. And I, I, I take issue with even the word tattling, like, you're coming to me because you need help. You're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're out of ideas. Mm-hmm. Someone's hitting you. You maybe provoked it and you don't understand your role in it or anything like that, but you're coming to me and I'm going to do my best to help you. So a couple of the things that I think it, it's important for us to look at, what's my knee-jerk reaction in that moment when my kid comes to me? And, and you just explained one of the knee-jerks, one right. of the, like, reflexes is like, well, what did you do to bring that on right. and like kind of increase accountability, which makes perfect sense, but doesn't actually get us very far usually in my no, world. not generally. <laughs> okay. 
So the first thing that I want to do is be able to step out of referee mode because my reflex is to go into referee and lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm not going to referee or lecture and I'm going to do something different, one different thing I can do is to say, wow, you know, first empathize. That sounds like that hurt. Do you need any support to talk to your sibling about what happened for you? Because I imagine you need to talk to them. Now, if I zoom out here for a second, Hill, what I'm realizing is that what I'm wanting to do is teach my kids how to ultimately talk to each other. These are practice partners for talking to anyone in their life for the next 90 years when something crummy happens. So I'm going to be somebody who helps you get that conversation that you want to have, you know, to the person you want to have it with. So rather than me getting involved, hold on, let me go talk to your sibling. I'll help you guys referee this, la, la, la. I'm going to go, gosh, it sounds like you've got something on your mind. That really sounds like it hurts you. I'm sorry it hurt you. Can I stand with you to help you talk to your sibling? And can I also help your sibling listen Mm -hmm. to you? Would that be something you'd like to do? I think that's great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it can be just as an alternative to all the other things we are inclined to do in that moment is like, I'm going to help you use your voice for good to advocate for yourself. And I'm willing to play the role of making sure your sibling listens. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, that's an empowered role I'm happy to play. Um, I'm not really going to try and figure out who started that and who's to blame and who takes what ownership because like that's a rabbit hole I just don't have the energy for. That's not to say it's not valuable. It just generally we're tired and we're trying to do other things. Right. So I can help you, you know, option A, I can help you go talk to your sibling and really help them hear you when you tell them that that really hurt you. Um, option B, you have a right sweetheart, and I'm talking to my little one who's been hurt, you have a right to take a break from them right now if you want. Like, that doesn't feel good, and you may need a break. Would you like a break? And give them that option. Mm -hmm. Really helping them learn how to advocate for their own safety and then use their own voice. And if they ever come to me to tell me something that happened, I want them to know that where that's going to take them is right back to the person that they need to talk to. And that may get a result or not in terms of change of behavior in the sibling, what it does do is help grow them, their sense of self and their sense of ability to talk to maybe a bullying sibling about their impact. Mm-hmm. So that's just maybe scenario one. Somebody just came out of the blue and they're tattling. But the other thing I'm imagining is happening is moments where you just actually witness violence. Right. You're seeing somebody clock another kid. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you saw somebody provoke it and maybe you didn't, or maybe you saw the lead up for hours and it was just bound to happen. For me, I have to figure out where are the lines in my home? The line that we just won't condone crossing. And for me, verbal attack, like verbal violence and physical violence are the line. It's the hard line. It's the place where I refuse to kind of let anyone work it out. I will always step in and I, I will do my best to stay calm, but I am going to intervene and literally block transmission of the messaging mm-hmm. like with my physical body. So um, if I'm seeing somebody, you know, raise a fist at someone else, lift a stick, even threatening gestures like threatening safety, mm-hmm. um, I will stand in between them as if I am a wall to say, and I, I've shared this in many labs and I'll share it so happily again. I'm here to make sure that everyone stays safe in our home. 
this isn't safe, you'll have to find another way to be with your sibling. Mm -hmm. And literally, I'm just blocking the moment. If you need to take a breath and start again, you can. Or you can take a break and leave the room and come back later and try again. But this, don't play. Right. So I got more calm and more directed when I got very clear about what were the like the higher stakes behaviors that I just wasn't. I would drop everything I was doing. I would hang up the phone. I would turn off the stove and I would step in and go, no way. We won't be doing this. Mm -hmm. So just maybe I'll pause there and ask you both to reflect on the tattling kind of quote unquote situation and the intervening physically, just kind of stopping, dropping everything and, and, and saying, we'll have to find a better way. I'm here to help you do that if you want that help. So I love the idea of just reframing it in my mind about not being tattling, about yeah. them coming because they need something. Because ultimately, as we raise our kids, I want to be the parent that the kids come to, that I'm not going to have some huge reaction to something. I can be calm, and then I can help them handle something or give them the tools to handle it. So I love that. I think I'm left with like a follow-up question about two things, like when hitting does happen. Like my older son hits my younger son. The seven-year-old hits the three-year-old. What, in terms of consequences... For, for that action is the first question. And then the second is we talk a lot about can you check in on them? We'd started with, like, can you say I'm sorry? And then I'm like, get frustrated by that word, I'm sorry, because it's kind of said with an eye roll. The word I'm sorry, we tried to focus more on the finding the other person and saying, like, are you okay and do you need anything? Whether my older son hit my younger son or whether, like, he accidentally tripped and he you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional, but just you see someone that's hurt and checking in with them doesn't mean you're assuming blame. It can mean just like you see another person that's hurt and you you care for them. Like, are you okay? And so I guess I just love your thoughts on oftentimes you have to force that check-in. Like, did you check in on your brother? Have you done that? And then just the consequence when hitting or kicking does happen. Okay. Let's just go a couple different directions. One is I think it's important for us if we have the wherewithal to normalize that when we get frustrated and we don't can't think of the words and how to talk it through, your fists want to do the talking for you. Your body literally can fire faster than your language. So it's not abnormal for your hand to want to clock somebody or strike out or grab before the language is there. Now, that's important science. That's actually really important for your kids to know, like, there's nothing wrong with you. My hands grip up when I get frustrated, too. I tend to want to grab where I used to. And when you're young, that's the first thing your body tells you to do. So we're learning how to kind of ignore that and do something else. And that's hard work. So right now, if you're three or even if you're seven, it's pretty natural that your body wants to hit somebody when you're not getting your way. And we're working on finding a better way because hitting isn't a way that's going to work here in our house. But I just think normalizing it is somewhat important. Our first inclination is often to shame people. What is right. wrong with you? You can't do that. We don't hit in our house. Nobody hits you. Like, that's really kind of where I go naturally. Right. 
And when I flip that script and go, you know what? The desire to hit somebody when they're actually really treating you bad is pretty natural. And all of us humans have to learn how to override the desire to hit somebody and do something else. And that's such hard work. So first of all, that normalizing just really helps kids realize there is nothing wrong with them. And that lives in us too, or used to. And I think that's really helpful. It increases the learning when someone doesn't feel like there's something wrong with them. Right. For kids who are, you know, whose bodies want to do the talking more than their mouth, um, there's this wonderful preschool teacher we used to have named Randy. And when my son's fists would go up, she was, you know, quick enough to catch those moments and say, hey, Cameron, look at your fists. And they would be right up. I'm holding them up in front of my face. Look at your fists right now. If your fists could talk, what would they say? Mm. And she would also say, gosh, that your fists look like you're so mad. Two things are happening. One, when she verified that his fists looked like anger, his reaction would settle. So the minute we're able to name somebody's experience accurately, like, you look mad, they will start to calm down immediately. As opposed to like, don't be mad, just like relax. That will increase agitation. Right. So your your fists tell me you're mad. I get it. If your fists could talk, what would they be asking for? What would they need? What do your fists want to say? And this, especially with a three-year-old, but honestly, also with a seven-year-old, honestly, with like a bunch of 40-year-olds I know, they could benefit from going like, I'm mad that you pulled that out of my hands, and I'd really like you to give it to me back. That's what my fist wants to say. And a three-year-old can't put that language together. So you might say, can I, can I tell you what I think maybe your fist wants to say? And you can tell me if that's what your fist wants to say. So I'm going to offer him a little bit of what I think maybe. Is your fist saying, please give me my book back? That really made me mad when you grabbed it. Your your youngest will say like, yeah, that that's right. Mm-hmm. Or no, that's not it. And really what we're just trying to do is hook up that language center to this impulse moment. And we're trying to slow it down. We're teaching them literally how to bypass it. Now, for moms who are right there and can grab the moment and say, hold on one second and stand in between and go, what does your fist need to say for you? Great. Yay for that 1% of the time that you're there to do that. But we can also do this in reflection after a moment. Like, you know, after somebody gets clocked, boy, it sounds like your fist did the talking for you. I'm so sorry and sad for both of you that that happened. I wonder what your fist would say if it got to talk. What did it need? What did it want to say? Can we think about it now? It is not at all too late for your kid to try and get the words out right, and for you to work that out. And that's great practice for next time. But as long as we just kind of go into like, you know, what is wrong with you? I can't believe you hit your brother again. Go to your room. And now we end on a negative note. We're back in the saddle again in another 30 minutes and we're doing it again. There's just no learning happening. So I'm not going to let anyone off the hook until they've been able to put some language together about what it is they need and how they felt. Mm -hmm. And if you're three, you can do it. And if you're 30, you can do it. And everyone in the moment thinks they can't. They're like, I don't know. I don't know what I need. Mm -hmm. And you go, that's okay. It's normal not to know. But we're going to take a few minutes to figure out what you needed and how to ask for it. 
And that's where all the connectivity starts happening in the brain, where their little prefrontal cortex starts connecting to their impulse, you know, or lighting up when there's an impulse to hit. Right. Um, this is a years-long practice, though. Like, it's natural that their fist is going to move faster than their language. Right. You know, you said something that was so compelling to me. I, I really loved is the choice between go say you're sorry right. and how do you really connect to caring for your sibling? You know, some something happened and it was crummy and it happened so fast. And now we're trying to do a little bit of the cleanup, mm-hmm. which it sounds like you've got a value around cleanup or repair, which may have come from the lab method yeah. in parent school or may be just born in you. Um with help from you. <laughs> oh, yay. Okay, good. Well, the inclination to help somebody offer care, go, you know, what what can we do to help make this right, this thing that we aided in making feel bad? How can we set it right? That's a wonderful way to close a circle on something that just, you know, we played a role in and a way for your kid to kind of end with an identity of being more of a hero and somebody who is a nurturing, caring person, as opposed to ending on the note of like, I just assaulted my sibling. Right. We don't want them to identify with that. When my kid slips or forgets or makes a mistake and their hands do the talking for them, I do want to close the loop by saying, oh, that was sad and hard for both of you. What can you do to help that person feel better, make them feel cared for or loved? And that's such a light bulb for so many kids because they're like, I know. I mean, you will see how fast they grab onto the opportunity to be seen in a positive light. They do not want to end there. So you're just doing this huge natural favor to them as mom Hillary, offering to them, like, how can you set this right? What can you do? Is there anything you want to do? Now, doing that in a way without shame on it. You better make this right. We're not going anywhere until you fix this is a completely different thing than I know you love your sibling. And that was sad and hard what happened. Is there something you could do to help them feel like cared about or nurtured or maybe even just a little bit better? Mm -hmm. And that, to me, doesn't smack of the shame or blame. It's just like we all forget how to be a not violent person sometimes. You said something once, either in a conversation or in one of your podcasts, about shaping over shaming and I have that just like those words like run through my head a lot just in different interactions with the kids when I want to what your natural reaction is to be like why would you do that I'm like shaping over shaming shaping over shaming and it's just like a really helpful talk track for me to run through oh thank you I love that you brought that up and the shaping is either in teaching or giving them an opportunity to course correct Mm -hmm. and finding our way through to a positive end. And that's the shaping piece. So thanks. And the shaming is just, gosh, it just lives in us like right at the tip of our tongue. We were all raised on it. It's just so, I don't even know if, if we weren't raised on it, if it would, I think it still would be there. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you is the question that just wants to come off my right. tongue or we don't do that, which is if I really pause and question it, the truth is, no, we all do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we do that. So thanks for being somebody who offers that option. Anytime we make a mistake, we normalize it a little bit. We say we have to find a better way because that's a line. and We just crossed it. We got to find a better way. How can you correct this? And then let them come up with the ideas. Your kids will be great at saying like, I could go get Boo Boo Bear out of the freezer. 
I could go get a, you know, a, a wet washcloth, or you could help them come up with maybe three ideas. If they're, you know, maybe your three-year-old needs help, what could you get? Oh, I could, could you go get her their special stuffy? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think would help them? Could you go get their blanket, whatever? Maybe go get the dog. Those efforts will really help them recover. Oh, and so much better than I'm sorry. Like, it, it's so... Yeah. It certainly could be. And for a lot of kids who, like you said, are going to roll their eyes through and I'm sorry, there is a point where, you know, I know for my own kids, I had a snarky sorry sayer. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. It's like the eye roll sorry. I was like, there was a certain point where I was like, you know what, I'm I'm going to stay with you while you keep trying <laughs> to say I'm sorry in a way that actually feels good to the person you're saying it to. Mm-hmm. And if you need to hang with this for 30 minutes while you giggle and laugh and roll your eyes and do all the things, fine, get it out of your system. We're hanging in. Again, I'm doubling down. I'm going to the mat. We're not done until you're sorry. Actually, feels like, you know, you don't have to be crying. Right. But it needs to feel okay to the other person or it's no good. So, um... I think you'll know what's the right thing in a moment, but you're right. The I'm sorry just as catch-all ain't anything other than, like, yeah, lip service. Lip service, because they're doing it because it's felt parent-forced, and that yeah. doesn't feel good either. Yeah, nothing's being learned or gained. I think the last thing that I heard you mention was, you know, what are the consequences for, you know, somebody clocking somebody or somebody just really getting physically aggressive with another person? If you've identified, this is my line, you know, this is a a really, you cross this line of physical aggression, and there is going to be a consequence for you. I think this is a very subjective area where different parents together need to decide, how are we going to address this? But it's such a good question. What is going to be the way, the uniform across all days and times and circumstances that we're going to try and assert a consequence around this. And I want to first start saying, you know, we all go to like timeouts and here's the thing I'm going to take away. But when I roll my sleeves up and say, you know what, we're going to work this through until we get it right, that is intrinsically its own consequence (laughs) because the fun just stopped and we're now going to like just work on this for a while. So I want to put that at top of the list of consequences. Like, (laughs) When this happens, we're going to work on it until it feels good. And that may mean we miss some stuff. And it also isn't going to be a super fun part of your day. It's just going to be the learning part. And um, that's an okay and very viable consequence for those people who react or kind of are like, oh, God, if I just, if I drag them out and I put them in their room, like we're just, we're dealing with a whole nother disaster. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a struggle to get them to the room. And I really like the role, like play it through again. Play it through until it feels good. Let's work it through again. However, there's a caveat to that. Sometimes people really aren't in a place where they can work it through because they need to take a beat. They need to take a break. But I want them to know if we're going to take a break, like you're going to go spend 10 minutes in your room or sitting on the sidelines, like a quiet time, the absolute most important part of that intervention is that when you come out of that quiet time or that timeout, that we are going to resume where we left off and we're going to play it through until it feels good. And my guess is after you've had a little break, especially a scene change for kids who just get kind of triggered by the scene, mm-hmm. if, if I can get them anywhere else for a little bit of time and then bring them back, 
they have a much better shot of like just getting to rehearse, rewind, replay in a positive way. There are some kids that get so activated, so triggered, just sitting there looking at their siblings and like say on the trampoline, they just need to like pull back. Everybody go to your favorite, what I call hotspot, where you go where you're mad. And your hotspot is up to you. You you go wherever you want to go when you're mad. We can talk about where that is for each kid. But why don't you guys go just hang out in your hotspots for a minute? I'll go to my hotspot. I need a break because I can't actually help you find your way to a peaceful outcome if I'm freaked out. And right now, I'm freaked out. Right. So I'm going to start breathing, you guys, and I'm going to ask everybody to kind of go to your hotspot. What we're not going to be is on the trampoline for a couple of minutes. But in a couple of minutes, when we're all feeling like we got, especially mom or dad, is feeling like my feet are back on the ground and I can breathe again and talk, then we're going to come back here and do it again. So the consequence of like we're just going to take a break and come back to this is another great one. Mm -hmm. But lastly... You know, if somebody's like, no, we've got a situation, like we got a hitter and this hitter isn't like maybe going to reform from just replaying it and find ending on a positive note. We need something more. I would just say whatever that something more is, make it concrete, make it short lived, make it something that when it gets applied, a consequence that gets applied, like let's say if you hit your sibling today you're going to lose your screen time for tonight. That's just perhaps just one household's way of dealing with it. And I don't care who was at fault. I don't care who got provoked. Your hands do the talking. You don't watch a screen tonight. Or some people use the method of we're going to keep track of when that happens during the week. And you're going to pay into a little work furlough program on Saturday. And for every time that you hit someone this week, you're going to spend 10 minutes working for me on Saturday alongside me, and we're going to do some kind of paying the piper for the times that you are hitting your sibling, and that's a consequence. Now, when we come back to each other on Saturday, and we're going to look in my little notebook, and there's going to be a tick mark for every time you hit someone, and I'm going to make a note about what happened and when it happened. I'm going to ask you to reconcile, like, do you know why you're here? What happened? Why Why are you here paying the piper on Saturday and doing my work furlough program. That's maybe for another podcast because I think it's a really exciting opportunity or intervention and or consequence for kids who really do need more. The consequence have a longer tail and just something that they're really remembering and maybe has a little more of a sting on it. But for today and for this discussion, I really think it's worth saying, I'm going to roll my sleeves up for the summer and the kids are going to understand that I'm not so thrown by this fighting that I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. In fact, now I do know what to do, and I'm ready to cancel anything in order for us to get to the other side of this and go from chaos to calm, rivalry to revelry, even if it's just for the moment. Mm -hmm. Once they realize that you're committed on that front, they will stop agitating and kind of upending the apple cart so much just to get your attention. Right. They will be getting your attention. It'll just be in a really different way. I think last of all, I'd be remiss in not mentioning the possibility that if your kids are chronically fighting, they may be scrapping for your attention in a way, letting you know, I need more 
one-to-one time with you. And sometimes there's a scarcity of direct, dedicated one-to-one time. And I'm not the parent who thinks you should be on the floor for an hour a day. And what we know from a research standpoint is that 15 minutes a day with a kid that's child-centered play without their siblings is probably the biggest preventative dose of attention you could give in terms of just de-escalating that scrappy fighting behavior. And it's not something you do once and then things get better. But once your kids get a sense of like, oh, I I know on Wednesdays I get my time with my mom. It's our play date time. Right. I know that happens because it's been happening reliably for weeks. And I just just feel secure inside. I'm going to get that time. When that starts happening more regularly, we really see a natural, you know, mitigating of sibling infighting and just scrapping. So I just offer that to you or to anyone who's listening in the audience is like, am I spending 15 minutes a day where I am really putting my own parent agenda down? We are not running errands as a child-centered experience. We're like throwing a blanket on the ground and we're doing what they want. And for 15 minutes, I'm really just kind of curious about what they'd like to do and I'm letting them lead. And as we're going, I'm saying things like this. This feels really nice to be with you. Thanks for spending some time with me. This is my favorite part of today. And just filling up their sense of relatedness, their needs for relatedness so that they understand I'm not just a number here. I I do actually really matter. My parent is uniquely devoted to me too. I'm not just in part of a pack. I love it. I love the idea about just slowing the train down, you know, back to what you said earlier. And I said to my husband, you know, we're not rushing. It's not like the rush to school, the rush to this, rush to that. And so we can kind of put everything aside and really double down on this. You guys can use your words and figure out how we're going to play with it together. So can you play with it nicely together and share it? Or do you need to one of you use it and then the other one? I'm using it first. Rexy, is that okay with you? No, I think... No, no, I'm going to put the water can. Wait, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to give one to back. Even if it's sky, I'm still going to. Oh, my gosh. It was such nice teamwork. Bravo, guys. Thank you. Thank you for these tools because I I can see how they'll be really helpful. Mm. Thank you, Hillary, so much because you really brought it to life. (laughs) You know, it's like... Really, to get into the grit of this means, like, you're capturing so many parents' attention in the same way that you need it. So thank you so much for being real on behalf of uh, all the parents of the world. And I hope we get to talk again soon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to Parent School. I'm Polly Ely. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you've got a situation at home and you'd like a little help finding your cool when you've lost it, reach out to us about being a guest on our show at thelabmethod.com forward slash parentschool with Polly. Most of all, please remember, no matter what is happening in your home or how long it's been going on, it is never too late to do family differently.